it takes an effort for people to think on the positive side. Everybody tends to look at the negative side. Every narrative, every story has a challenge. What is the plan to get there? And see yourself achieving that success in the long run. We're gonna make it beyond this. Let that narrative shape the way that you think going forward. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. Martin, what's something that you do every day that contributes to your success, like without fault every day? Well, <laughs> maybe uh, brush your teeth. Well, yeah, something. <laughs> Some something quotidian like that. No, I think the thing that I do every day is for the next day. And I don't go to bed at night without understanding at least what I intend to do the following day. Having, having a plan for the, for the next day. I like that. Yeah, How do you do me. that? Well, it begins with a review. I mean, it, a lot of it's in my head anyway, but I look at my calendar and who is coming. And so that's part of it. So I've got the clients that I've got the next day. And I always hope to say something useful and intelligent when I'm talking with them. And then yeah. I have major projects, I'll call them, uh, that are going on. And I review those every night before I go to bed. I also review them every morning when I wake up. <laughs> so they're in my head. But And that isn't something I do because I think I should do it. It's native. I can't mm. not do it. And I yeah. think probably a lot of listeners are the same way. Man, that's that's really good to hear. Um, I needed to hear that because I'm actually doing some changes right now. Uh, I've been kind of on a whirlwind the past two, three weeks, creating um, some better standard operating procedures for myself to be able to delegate things. Uh, I listened to a really great podcast from Tim Ferriss, and I'm going to butcher this. I forget the guy's name, Sam Korkos or Koros, something like that. But he's the founder and CEO of um, a company called Levels. They do like bio um, wearable thing that tracks your glucose. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, really, really cool guy. He has four executive assistants <laughs> um, because he delegates so much. And so just listening to him talk about how he thinks about delegation and all these things just really kind of whipped me into gear. And so you said you look at your calendar every night and I do the same thing. Um, I don't want to say every night, but it's either at night or in the morning. Be before I get started on my work, I've looked at the calendar within 12 hours because my calendar really does dictate everything. But, and I think this makes sense for you, especially because you do so much consulting and, and meetings and I have a lot of meetings as well, but I have a lot of tasks. And the only thing on my calendar is meetings. I can go into my project management tool and I can look at all of my tasks, but I haven't put all of my um, tasks on the calendar per se. The, and that's something. That's uh, some, nor, nor do I. Uh, yeah. my, my meetings and uh, the podcasts that we're doing or yeah. yesterday I was on a little TV show for about two minutes. That yeah. kind of thing are on there. But the major tasks, um, I have, I don't want people to mock me, but I've got a wire, spiral-bound notebook. And yeah. All of that stuff is in there. Yeah. Antique, there are so many ways around it, but that's what works for me, and it has forever. And yeah. I've got my hand on it. And 
it starts out pretty neat, but any, anytime something pops up that I have to, I mean, writing an art, I'm writing some articles some things like that. Sometimes it's just do the financials for Diane's business. Yeah. Those things are, are not major, but like the writing the book, um, mm -hmm. that was major project. Yeah. That was major. And so I've always got to have tomorrow planned out. Do I have time to do any of this? Mm -hmm. uh, and if not, how do I make time? When am I going to do it? So sometimes it winds up on the calendar, but it starts, starts with the calendar. Well, so this Sam guy, he, he will, he tracks the time on everything he does. Um, whether it's making a phone call, whether it's checking the books, whatever it is, he's, he's timing himself. And then one of his executive assistants will do a time audit every month, every quarter, every year. And so then they've calculated really good estimates of how long it takes to do things, whether it's checking his email, whether it's writing a memo, whatever it is. And so now anytime he has a task, he does not keep it inside of a project manager tool. He keeps it on his calendar. He literally schedules the tasks. So, and, and he knows the time. And I've heard about this before. You know, you can't control your outputs. A to-do list is a list of outputs. I need to do this. And when I'm done, that's an output. But you can't control your outputs. The only thing you can control is your inputs. And time is an input. And so if you're going to do a task, you need to assign time to it. And it has to go on the calendar. And so that's kind of an adventure I'm on right now is kind of rethinking the way that I manage my workload and trying to get it into a point where it's on my calendar every day because I, I live by the calendar and if i have free time on the calendar yeah i'll take time to work on tasks but maybe i'm not focused on the most prioritized task maybe i'm just you know thinking about the next day and so that's something that allows me to not just work on the urgent but on the important too yeah i don't know if this meshes exactly with what you're saying but the difficult thing for me is our open-ended tasks Yes. In other words, I need to go figure something out. I don't even, I haven't even properly defined the problem, mm -hmm. which by the way, is the first step of any task. When you've properly defined the problem that you're resolving yeah. or the goal you're trying to achieve, you've done 90% of the work. But when you haven't done that yet, I can come in and say, oh, that'll take me about an hour. I don't know if it's going to take me a half hour. It's going to take me the rest of the day, or it's going to take me a week. Um, yeah. Had I tracked everything I've ever done? Maybe I would know that, but I haven't. Those, <laughs> well, those so are the ones track. that they're. Those are the ones that kind of get set you uh, with your leg tapping, you know, like sitting at lunch with your knee going up and down, because it's undefined. If I know I have to do a spreadsheet P and L for somebody, mm -hmm. I I don't even think about that. You know, I mean, I've done so many, and I go. Matter of fact, I like it because it's a known thing. I can tell when I started. I can mm -hmm. tell when I was finished. And I can tell if it's right. So, but it's those open-ended tasks yeah. that, that are really the killer. Well, and, and that's something that he talks about is like, uh, especially with standard operating procedures is, uh, have you heard of OKRs? No. Okay. It's a big thing that's used in the SaaS world, software as a service, um, and Google's huge on it. A lot of companies are, um, but it's objective and key results. And oh, okay. so basically, if you ever have a project, if you ever have a task, if you ever have yeah. a standard operating procedure, every single one has to have an OKR. What, are, what is the objective of this? And what are the key yeah. results so that we know that we did it successfully? Yeah, I, I don't call it OKRs. I guess maybe I will now, but that's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. When you, <laughs> once the task I have to find out what that. I'm doing and how I've achieved it and how can I measure that, once I've got that, um, life is good. 
course, when they're doing software development or building brand new fighter planes that are poorly designed, you know, that's what scrumming is about. Yeah. It's, uh, what are the objectives for this week? You know, yep. what, what'd you, what were your objectives last week? What'd you get done? What are you going to do this week? And what's exactly. in the way, you know, exactly. and you keep current because those are mushy, you know? Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know, man. It's, it's just a mind shift for me. Um, and just how I approach each day that I'm kind of, you know, working through right now in terms of, you know, changing the way I schedule tasks and get things on the calendar. And I'm creating these standard operating procedures for myself, which I haven't really ever done. I've done it for different roles on the company and, you know, different types of projects, but never for like the things that I actually do. But that's kind of the first step in really making a difference in how I run my day is if I have SOPs that allow someone else to actually do it for me. So I, th I think in many ways, that's kind of what we want to talk about is just understanding yourself, understanding how you can change things for yourself is kind of what I was, you know, what I'm how going you, through, but in a, in a real way, we're going to be talking about thoughts and how the impact of thoughts that you currently have, and then how you can actually change them for the better right. going forward. Um, you were telling me a little bit about a book that you recently, or uh, someone you recently found who, what was well, it? there's a guy named Dr. Price Pritchett. I hadn't okay. heard of him, but I probably, maybe I'm the only one in the world who hasn't. Um, uh, he's, <laughs> he's getting older. So he is, you know, he talks about big things he did back in the seventies and eighties, but he's a, uh, mergers and acquisition specialist, organizational behavior, uh, okay. uh explosive growth kind of guy. And, uh, don't remember exactly where it was. I saw him on video. I bought his book, one of his books. He sold over 14 million books. So that's almost as much as the profit problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, matter of fact, we probably have a lot of the same numbers, just the decimal <laughs> points in the wrong place. No. Um, but anyway, when he was talking, I was, I was walking the dog and just listening. And uh, he started talking about a positive mindset. Okay. Thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Right? He made the statement that we make a lot and people I think are pretty familiar with that your subconscious controls you and mm -hmm. we're not even aware of it most of the time. So if we're getting less, maybe we're getting negative results or less than positive results and certainly not explosive growth or bohag, big, hairy, audacious goal type of growth, we have to examine what's holding us back and that resides in the uh, subconscious for, for, mo for, for all of us. Do I you think. have an example of something? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just one I've used here before I have apparently successful business owners running a nice business in the, in this, uh, right now who will talk about, they can't do the next step because they never got a college degree. Right. Right. And one of the points of why did you say that? What's that got to do with anything? It hasn't stopped you yet but I'm aware that it's holding them back mm -hmm. and people, uh, well, lots, lots of results. I'm trying to think of one that really affected me. Um, I'll just say one that was very personal because a long yeah. time ago, but, yeah. um, way back when I hadn't been married very long, but we moved to a, a house in Norman and, um, we moved to a bigger house and we thought about keeping the smaller house. Yeah. But, my mindset was I was in startup businesses at the time that, that, uh, man, what if I don't get a paycheck and now we got two houses yeah. and I need that money. And, and so we sold the house and the house now is worth about almost six times what it was when we sold it would have been wow. a great property. I mean, it would have been, been ridiculous. 
We know that because it came up on Zillow recently. Not six, uh, four and a half times. What was okay. It? But anyway, I missed that opportunity because my mindset, mm-hmm. uh, basically fear. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was worried about not getting a paycheck. And in the 49 years, 45 years since, I haven't ever missed a paycheck. Yeah. So that's where, that's where my mindset um, cost me an opportunity. And it's costing us all opportunities right, right now. Are we going to grow or the things we talked about before? I can't hire good people or I'm scared to delegate because people don't do things as well as I do them. Well, it's, you get stuck um, mm-hmm. because of these limiting beliefs. And you may think the reason you don't delegate, you may consciously be aware that the reason you don't delegate is because people don't do things as well as you do. Or it may be in your subconscious and you just don't do it because yeah. that's not the right thing. And you don't really know why the right thing, you know, why you're not doing it. So those, I mean, those are some kind of common examples, mm-hmm. uh, but I certainly don't think of myself as Jeff Bezos. So that <laughs> I've got, I've got limits somewhere between there and Elon Musk, right? Somewhere. You're Something somewhere in between. Back. So, so what's, uh, so what is, did you read the book? What, what is, what did you get from, did you watch I, a video or something? And I bought it because I wanted to find a discussion on, on the uh, five C's we're going to talk about. And it wasn't in the book. So oh. <laughs> uh, it's a good book. And there's, he has another one called quantum leap that I haven't received yet, but, but what he was talking about is, well, he, he started with a statement. If you want to improve your mindset, there are two approaches. And one is to say only positive things right? We talk Mm -hmm. about that. Positive affirmations. I can do it. You know, just positive. I'm a good person. Yeah. I I can do this. I am capable. Even if I don't think I am, I'm going to act like I am and I will be. But to say all these positive things, positive affirmations, and there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it's good. But he said, the other approach is to quit saying negative things. And when I heard him say that, the light bulb just went off in my mind because I deal with this every day myself and my clients and, and my friends who say negative things. And mm-hmm. you just want to say, stop it. Well, he had an approach and he called it the five C's of negative thinking. So these are the things you want to stop doing. And they are stop complaining, stop criticizing, stop being overly concerned. And we'll talk about these a little bit. Stop commiserating and stop catastrophizing, which I think he made mm. that word. So, yeah. Uh, I've heard that before, catastrophizing. Oh, well, it's, it's a good one. I, I hope people know what it means without having to look it up because I don't know if it's in the dictionary but, or in Google. But the first one, stop complaining. Uh, he used an example. Um, he said he lives in Dallas, and he said yeah. it gets to be 100, 105 degrees in Dallas. He said I can go in the office and complain about that. He said, that sets me down a negative path and not a damn thing I can do about it. So what? It's 105 degrees, right? So I think that's something that we can do is is just complaining. It's too cold or those people don't or, you know, just all, I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. Specifically with the weather, I I don't know if you get this way, but I feel like the weather's been, in the summers, past two, three, four years in Oklahoma, been pretty brutal. Are you and complaining? 
I'm complaining right now. Okay. Well, I'm just explaining Stop what kind of happens to me yeah. is no. I end up getting to the summer and I'm like, man, we need to move. We got to, we got to go to the mountains or we got to go to a different country or I don't know what, but we, like, we can't go outside. Can't do all these things. And it ends up making me think that the grass is greener somewhere else when the reality is it's not, you know, it, it's a seasonal right. thing. There's things to do. It gets me in a bad mood. I'm like, what, are, this is awful. Um, when there's real in reality, there's so many things I could be doing, um, you know, that are indoors or at a swimming pool or whatever, right. uh, with our, uh, specifically, I think about raising our daughter and just how challenging it is to take her outside when it's 110 because she's going to pass out. And so anyways, I, I totally understand the complaining aspect and how it really gets me thinking how everything's wrong and I need to move. And it just, it catastrophizes almost probably right. is. So anyways. And think about Mia when she gets a little older too, uh, Mila, she's going to hear you complaining. You know, exactly. dad comes in, he's complaining. He's complaining that he had to work too late, complaining about the traffic, complaining about, you know, the pollen, mm -hmm. just complaining. And it's just negative. And it's a simple thing to say. We'll talk about this a little more at the end, but stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's something you can be aware of. You can be aware of, hey, I'm complaining, right? Yeah. Um, the next one was criticizing. And he, he doesn't really, how, how would you define that, Cleo? Well, you know, I think this is more of an internal thing. So it's really easy to criticize others. Um, and something that I've learned through some marriage counseling and some therapy is uh, criticizing your spouse, even just internally, can really change the way that you treat them, the way that you think about them, and the way that you act towards them long-term because you're only thinking about the negative. Where if you flip it and you just start talking, thinking about all the positive things about your spouse because there's a reason why you got married and there are good things about your spouse, um, it changes the way that you act. And I think internally, I criticize myself heavily I've always done this. I think it goes back to probably whenever I played soccer. Um, I had some great coaches, but they were very critical and they helped me become better players and a better person overall. Like I think critical and for criticizing is has a place. But when you start criticizing yourself, I think it really paralyzes you. And it I think it causes perfectionism in a lot of ways, where now you're over obsessing about trying to make something perfect because you're being so critical of yourself that you actually don't make progress on the other things. Um, anyways, that's kind of my thought on criticism. Maybe you have yeah. something else there. No, I'm, I mean, everybody knows what criticism is. Two things I'd like to say. One is if you're thinking critically in a negative critically way about your spouse, that will compound because whether oh, you say it or not, your spouse among all the other people in the world is going to immediately pick up on it. Mm -hmm. especially if you don't say anything because that's, you know, they're being, what's the matter? What, what did I do? What, you know, then, then it begins a spiral. So, uh, yeah, criticism. Uh, the other thing when you said that it leads towards perfectionism, yeah. um, not directly related to the five C's, but it's a, it's a good side branch from there. Perfectionism, for example, is seeking perfectionism is a killer in a, I don't remember who first said it, but planning is where good ideas and innovation go to die, right? It kind of scratches the itch that I'm doing something, but you're not really doing something. Yeah. You're just trying to be perfect. 
my dad had an engineer who worked for Thiokol at the time, a mechanical engineer, and he was great. He said, ain't nothing flat, ain't nothing square, ain't nothing round. So <laughs> now you can get close enough, right? But you can spend bazillions of dollars trying to get just a little more rounder, but you keep going down to the microscopic level on a piece of steel and it's rough. Yeah. So he said, just, you know, what's, what's good enough? Let's go. So yeah. anyway, that, that's a little off from criticism, but don't criticize yourself or others, right? So yeah. that's the second. First one was don't complain. Second one was don't criticize, stop criticizing. The third one is uh, reduce your concern. And he explained what he meant by that is concern is just daily worry, right? Yeah. You get up and you're worried about the bills. You're worried about the client. Uh, I don't want to use the word what if be, because that's, we can use it more powerfully elsewhere, but it's just worrying about things mm -hmm. and it puts a weight on you. It, it uses your mental capacity. It's coming from your subconscious, but it's always back there casting a shadow on what you're trying to do. And we all know that when we're in the, when we're in the zone and the worry and the criticism aren't affecting us, we can get just quantum amounts done. Right. Yeah. So, uh, the third one was commiser or the fourth one was commiseration. And of course, commiseration is when you get together, put heads together and go, yeah, that's right. That guy's a jerk. Yeah. You know, and it compounds self feeding, you know, and, yeah. uh, I think the most important thing about commiseration is it is also a compounding thing. Absolutely. And, and you generally control it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on commiseration? Well, I think I think with commiseration, whenever you are with people who want to commiserate, like there's people who, who are looking for it. What's something right. bad that we can latch onto and just discuss at the water cooler or whatever and and talk continue to compound with our conversations? Um, I think there's just people that commiserate in general. And if you have someone like that in your circle, it can be a life suck can really take the wind out of your sails and change the way that you think in such a terrible way. And granted, there are things, there are bad things that happen in life. And emotionally, you probably should deal with them and recognize them and be aware of them. But commiseration is wallowing in it, right? It's prolonging yeah. that that digestion of a topic. It's just like, what's the the old thing that you hear when you're a kid, don't swallow the gum because it sits in your stomach for oh, seven yeah. years. That's yeah. that's what commiserating is. It's the gum in your stomach for seven years, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think there are two approaches when you're when you're caught in it. Well, first is to recognize what am I doing here, and we all generally, unless we're with one of the people that you just described who who relish commiseration, but we can try to alter the direction of the conversation. Mm -hmm. In other words, take it away from commiseration towards something positive. And a lot of times people will follow you, uh, yeah. but you have to be careful when you walk into something, maybe you're feeling positive and taking a positive direction. Somebody else comes in, influences you and pulls you down the negative rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. So yeah, commiseration is, is, uh, just a multiplier and, and we all do it. It's interaction with other people and, and we, we like to do that. You yeah. Know? It's in a little well, we bit, like to do that when we watch OU football and we're talking about <laughs> the defense with Grinch uh, whenever he was at OU. And then we're talking about all the, the fouls and the penalties and all this right. kind of stuff. Yeah. And Sidebar. It just builds and Let's commiserate for a second. 
we we lost to OSU Oklahoma OU lost to OSU last weekend from when we're recording this. Uh, did you see the pass interference that wasn't called? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I saw every play of the game, and here are my thoughts. There were about five other opportunities we had. We could have won that game. One of them was there that we Walker go. dropping Flip that pass. I mean, the, yeah, I, and you know, it looked like pass interference to me, but it's like me watching an NBA game. Game, I can't. <laughs> he fouled. What did he do? Yeah, you know, yeah I, mean, I don't understand. Talk about subjective. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think those. I had a ref one time for basketball, a college ref, come speak at Rotary one time, and. And he was kind of talking about fans' perceptions. And he explained some of the rules in subtle detail. I go, yeah. Oh, you know, I, in other words, I don't know what the hell I'm yelling at because I don't know the difference between a foul and an off. Unless somebody refs, bull- refs are a special breed. I will say that. Yeah. It takes yeah, a I lot have to admit, I don't know to go out but there. But we did get robbed. I mean, we the did. guy obviously was on OSU's payroll, but we'll just leave that. Well, away. no, I, I heard. Speaking of commiseration and conspiracy theories, maybe we should add add that into the the C's um, yeah, hey, because good. OU and Texas are leaving the Big Twelve. Uh, they think that there's like the yeah. refs are, you know, trying to get even. against those two yeah. teams. Not just OU, but Texas as well. Anyways, yeah. I'm done commiserating as an OU fan. Uh, let, let me uh, w- one other thing. Gossip falls in that. Absolutely. Uh, category of commiseration although i heard a great definition of gossip and it was that's when you hear something you like about somebody you don't like yeah i thought that was pretty good but gossip is just immensely damaging uh, more so than just commiseration because it has an object uh, Mm -hmm. of a person and so gossip is that's a G, so we can't add it to the C's, but we'll put it in the commiseration. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. You know, I mentioned that Tim Ferriss episode of Delegation with Sam Koros or whatever his name is. We'll get it right, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. He is a he hates gossip, and something that they do is they they everything's public for their company. So, like right now, I could go up and pull up like some of their SOPs if I wanted to online. Um, but also, every single meeting that they have is recorded including one-on-ones between managers and employees, and they're all made public. So anybody, so talk about gossip being, yeah, and they'll cut out like sensitive information from time to time, um, but you can go and watch a one-on-one. It's like that that commercial with the recall flag, you know, where people are arguing about who said what, and they can get the review, the red flag, yeah, and they come in and watch it. Yes. that's, That's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah. Uh, commiseration. Uh, the last. So we had complaining, criticizing, overly concerned about things. Commiseration, and then the last one um, that that Dr. Pryor, uh, Fritchett came up with was stop catastrophizing. And so let me try. I, said, and... I didn't know if that's a word, but you think it is. I think it is. Let me see if I can get this one. Catastrophizing, making a situation something it's not. Is that a good definition? Like blowing it out of proportions? I think, yeah. I think blowing it out of proportions is really good. I had a, um, this, when I heard him say that, I just about died laughing. It's something I've worked with all along when raising money and doing startups and things like that. And I'll talk about it in a minute. But I recently had a situation 
where I have a client in a tough industry. The, the industry is tough right now. It's hard on yeah. him. He's making it. He's managing it. He's really bright in the moves he makes. And out of the blue, he sent me a pro forma. In other words, a forecast, right? Financial forecast. The next year. And if the holy cow, if this happens, I'm dead. I am wiped out. And I just looked at it and he presumed he wasn't going to sell anything and all these things were going to get called and all this. And I said, what, what did you do that for? None of those things have happened. But yeah. he took the time to sit down and think through, and it had to take some hours. How could this get worse? I will not <laughs> sell anything. These, this banker will die, and I, I'll get his sub-banker who doesn't like me, and they'll call my notes. And just, he, he didn't do that. But that kind of thinking, and he had it where he's wiped out. I said, hmm. throw that SOB away. What the hell? Uh, that's catastrophizing and that's negative. My, this guy has done a masterful job for about the last year and a half navigating this tough industry. A lot of his, uh, competitors, let's say peers are going out of business or yeah. really, really suffering. And he's done some really smart things. It's hard. It's not fun, but he's done it. And here he is. And I forecast he will make it through and he'll, one of the good things about making it through is there'll be fewer competitors because mm -hmm. they got wiped out. But why would a guy spend all this time and effort to show how bad it would be if it didn't work out? Now, the yeah. place where I've seen that uh, over and over, over business career, is when somebody's starting a business or starting a venture, starting a product line, you typically will look at what you think you can sell and what you can make and what the overhead would be and you do a forecast and you do it with your best estimates and that becomes the mean or the average or the most likely outcome because yeah. that's the best knowledge you've got. It's what you intend to do. You, you don't control outlier things, but that's the, that's what we're shooting for. Mm -hmm. And then the next subject is always in a standard normal curve. It's to the left, all the bad stuff. Well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what are you? And, very seldom ever. I mean, it'll, it will be, this is what I think is going to happen, but oh boy, this is bad stuff. They think yeah. the investors want to see that. Matter of fact, the law requires a lot of times that they see a wipeout forecast. They think the bankers want to see that and, and maybe they do, but I say, let's look the other way. Mm. What if you sell twice as much? What if it catches yep. on? What if you can source products cheaper? What if, uh, you know, the tough times have caused buildings to become available that you can wrench. What if we do better? Well, it takes an effort for people to think that what if on the positive side, yeah. everybody, me included, everybody tends to look at the negative side, right? This is what I think, but what happens? So I don't know you, you know, the question there is what's a strategy to yeah. overcome doing that? And we talked about this a little bit ahead of time that one of the best strategies is just flipping it is just taking the other side. Just like you said it, what, you know, he sends the pro forma of it's going to, I'm going to be toast if this happens. Um, okay. Well, what if the opposite happens? What if you sell 10 homes? Right. And what, what happens the other way? And just talk about all the things that could happen on the, the positive side, just changing the lens in which you're viewing something and looking at it from the positive side. Now, 
I want to do a caveat here because I do know some people that always have that lens, which is a, a good thing to go in, through in life, but you can also be completely blind to reality at times. <laughs> and sometimes you do need to understand that, hey, there, there's negative consequences here if you don't <laughs> take care of business. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think that's the common problem. I think the common problem is the yeah, negative. That's not what right? we're dealing with mostly. Yeah. <laughs> um, usually we're hyper aware of the, the negative and catastrophizing situations. I think with any of these C's, flip it. And I think yeah. there's real power in it. Like if you're in a situation where you're, everyone's commiserating and you go in and you flip it, you completely change the vibe in the room. You may make people upset because they were enjoying the commiseration and now you've just made it something where it's kind of positive and they're like, it doesn't feel as good. I was really enjoying that commiseration. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I, but, I mean, everybody, I can think I've got a face in yeah. my mind of somebody who, no matter what, take it negative. Sorry, I'm walking yeah. over you, but that flashed through my mind and you just. What's their name, Martin? You want to shout them out? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to give gender, location, anything. <laughs> No, no it, I think it, it's so true, but I think it's not enough just to go. I think people are probably listening and saying, yeah, okay, I can flip it, but what good is that? I think if you, if you really flip it and you, you take it the next step and think, okay, let's use your builder example, worried that not going to, you know, I never said the, that was a builder, but well, that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. He won't but, mind. And we don't know who he is. But, we don't know who the builder is. There's yeah, several. Yeah. Anyways, it's a builder. Doesn't even know, like doing the proforma with no sales over the next year or something like that. Just complete worst situation possible. Um, if you flip it and they sell 10 homes next year or 10 homes next quarter, right? Then now things look way different, right? Right. But they're going to say, well, yeah, but that's not going to happen or whatever. Well, what if it did happen? Like how, yeah. how if it was going to happen, how would that actually come to fruition? If you were going to sell 10 homes, how would it actually take place? And you basically do some backward design, right? And by doing that, you start to think of some, you know, potential positive avenues of actually reaching it. You actually are visualizing and thinking about what would need to happen for you to have a positive outcome. Right. And by thinking through those actions and thinking through what it takes to actually achieve a positive result, now you're actually changing the way that you think. You're not just changing the lens that you're seeing a specific situation. You're changing how you're viewing the situation entirely. And you're giving yourself things to actually do. Exactly. You're creating right. a, a, an yeah. action plan for creating a positive outcome. You know, and I, for the builder, maybe that means, okay, well, I'm going to go reach out to some other builders that I know and see if there's any pa projects they're passing on. That would be one of the ways that I might get one of those 10, right? Where someone's over capacity or they've, Maybe they're going through hard times and someone reached out, but they don't even have the capability of doing that project anymore. I'm going to reach out to, um, you know, those, those people that we talked to a couple of years ago that were kind of interested, but put it on pause. Maybe it's a good time for them now. Um, you know, I'm going to follow up with my um, insurance agent that I know who has some really good referrals for me typically and see what I can do to drum up some business there. I'm going to start calling all of my previous clients and talking to them, asking how their house is going, see if there's anything I can get out of that from, you know, a referral, or maybe they want to build again or for a lake house or something like that. I don't know, but there's work to be had out there. 
there's definitely a way for me to get more than zero. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think a side to this, not a side, integral to this, is that you get what you look for. We've talked yes. about the RES and the white Honda. Once I bought a white Honda, I saw them everywhere. It's not, it's not voodoo. I mean, no. there's good stuff out there. And if you look for it, it will pop up and you go, what a coincidence. You know, yeah. I, I, how many times I've done this, uh, I won't even say with a client who does a service complaining about lack of work. And I said, you know, it'll come, it'll come, it'll come. And had them text me that afternoon that they got a project. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's vibrating the universe. I think the, pri the project was always out there. He made himself available to be called, made himself available to make a deal and, yeah. and did it. And I mean, that happens a lot. And it sometimes doesn't happen. I had that happen on Monday and I said, this will happen today to one of my clients. And it didn't. <laughs> and I said, okay, so I was wrong. But he did take some action. Mm -hmm. I didn't, wasn't even thinking about that. We started. He took some action as a result of that positive attitude that's going to change the trajectory of his business. And I know that without saying, bought some equipment and machinery they've been holding off on. And yeah. now he's committed to it. And he just has this positive attitude. He says, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. excited. Well, it makes me, it makes me think about, you know, the narrative that we have playing in our minds constantly because yep. there's so much power in narrative I, a while i think i've talked about this in the podcast at some point but a while back i was either watching a show or something like that that talked about the power of narrative and how it can influence generations just the narrative that you have for your family the narrative that you have in your culture even uh it talked about how um the power of narrative in jewish culture is is beyond measure uh it influences everything they do and how they approach things communally how they view the world, uh, just and how they overcame the Egyptians with Pharaoh how and Moses. They view education and achievement. Uh, exactly. It's just yeah. it's and it's not. You see it in a lot of cultures, um, but the power of narrative in your own life has a, a crazy impact. And a lot of times, I think we're stuck in our narrative, especially with these five C's. Like let's let's even just do a little exercise, Martin. If you were going to have a movie made about your life a moment in your life what would that movie be about like what time period or achievement or moment in your life would it be about well it'd be it might be a boring movie you know something that pops in my mind is going to seem ridiculous but i started painting when i was 50 and painting yeah right and i got in a show after i'd been painting for six or eight months and breaking yeah. canvases over my knee because I was frustrated. And anyway, I went to the show and a lady came in and bought one of my paintings for 800 bucks. <laughs> okay. It's a very specific little, yeah. but man, it was, well, there, there's oh, a name I, there. I actually talk about it in my book and, and okay. here, here's my mindset on it. Uh, I forgot I put that in there, but I talk about pricing and mindset with pricing. Yeah. Which this lady had been in, I remember perfectly, this lady had been in twice looking at it. Mm. And she came back a third time and I walked over to her and I said, I know what you're thinking. And she said, oh yeah, what's that? And I said, you think that's a lot of money for a painting? How about I knock off 20%? And she said, thanks, I'll take it. But I've been measuring it. I don't think it'll fit in my car. <laughs> she bought it and I delivered it. 
But my and for a discount. Yeah, and she bought. I mean, completely initiated by me because my thoughts were, you know, was, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and who am I to sell a painting to somebody for that? And that that really was a lot of money. I mean, I was yeah. If well, I hadn't been for my two sisters, I never would have. And my wife never would have priced it for that. I said eighty yeah. bucks. Eighty, you know, bucks. I'll pay. I'll pay. Pay you to take it. But <laughs> that is, I mean, that would be a very short, not a movie, but a video. Well, to but make. there's a narrative there, right? Yeah, and absolutely. that you started painting, and there was a lot of frustration where you could have complained, you could have criticized it when you probably and I, and I did. You did, but I <laughs> but I kept after it. You could have been overly concerned about price, right? You yeah. could have commiserated and talked about how bad you were at painting and right. no one's going to ever buy this and over catastrophized. I'm wasting right. all this time painting when I could be making money in business or whatever right. it is. Right. Right. And there's a narrative there. And for a lot of people, there's a narrative going on right now where they are going through those five C's, but they're just at that. They're just in a part of the story. It's just a, it's a challenging part of the story. Aaron, every narrative, every story has a challenge. It's native to storytelling. We all love the story of the person like Rocky who overcomes odds, right? And we, we love it when there's a challenge and there's a climax and there's a problem uh, that they have to solve, right? It's what makes the narrative powerful and resonate and keep our attention. And maybe you're complaining, you're going through these five C's, you're just in that point of the narrative for yourself. Just think about there's another outcome out there and how is it going to be possible? What is the plan to get there? And see yourself achieving that success in the long run. And so that let that narrative drive you of this is just a moment in the story. We're, we're going to make it beyond this. And this is what it's going to look like when we get there. And keep let that narrative shape the way that you think going forward. Right. I, a little bit tangential, but something you said, my father-in-law, who's a wonderful guy, was, was a wonderful guy. He's gone now but was talking one time and we were talking about eternity. Do you believe in God and all this? Well, there is eternity, whether you believe in God or not, there's eternity. <laughs> and he said, he said, you're already in your eternity. Eternity began before you were conceived. It began after you were mm -hmm. born and you're just at this place in your eternity. And after you die, you're going to go on. So you are in it right now. It's not some abstract that's coming later. And so what are you going to do about it? Right. We're yeah. living it. And anyway, I, I want to kind of want to honor him. His name is Roger. And I, I just thought that was brilliant. Kind yeah. of, kind of comforting thought as well. Yeah. It's a me. comforting thought in ways like we think that everything rests on our shoulders and there's, there's real things going on in the world that do rest on our shoulders, like our children's lives and things like that. But at the same time, like just taking personal responsibility for this short, short time that we have here and making the most out of it. And recognizing that in 2000 years, no one's probably going to be mentioning your name and probably. that's okay. I don't know. You could, you could be Elon Musk. There you go. That's mindset, right? I just, <laughs> I can't imagine that. I'm hoping you know, that my grandkids remember of that, my name. There's a, a belief in, I think it's some Native American culture that you don't actually pass away. Um, like your, your soul, your spirit doesn't actually pass away until your name's not said again. Yes. By somebody. It. Yeah. Um, till the last and, time your name is spoken. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, well, anyway, well, that the idea of, of helping control your negative thoughts. I mean, we've talked about it a lot of different ways, but 
using those five C's of mm-hmm. don't complain, don't criticize, don't be overly concerned, uh, don't commiserate, and certainly don't catastrophize. Yeah. Catastrophe. I, I, I think one, it. I mean, that idea of flip it, flip it. I think, I think something that would be good for people, like as a one thing is, you know, to get away from all the negative stuff going on, to set a positive goal for yourself. There's a really clear goal. Maybe it's a revenue goal. Maybe it's a, um, expense goal or something that you can really focus on and let that think about how you're going to get there. Maybe it's audacious and you don't know how you're going to get there. But if you do have that, that lens of I'm going to hit that, it forces you to have to think a little bit more positive because if you, you re- you recognize really quickly, if you keep complaining, criticizing, being overly concerned, all these things, you're not going to hit the goal. So set a goal for yourself if you don't have one. And if you do have goals, maybe bring them back to the forefront, set them in front of you, uh, write them down so that you can focus on that and have a positive mindset to be able to reach it and think about how you're going to do it and what wouldn't need to take place for it to come to fruition. And it'll change the way that you see things for sure. Yep. Cool. Well, well I feel good about this podcast. You do. <laughs> We're going to jump up. We're going to hit on, take off the record button and we're going to sit here and commiserate. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? How'd that go? I don't know. <laughs> it was terrible. I shouldn't have said that. I say uh, too much. Okay. Man. Well, good stuff. Good to commiserate with you, Martin. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do it again soon. Probably. Right. Probably not. One of us will catch the other. Yeah. All right. See you on the next one. Okay. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.